Hello, and welcome to another episode of Movie Challenge Accepted. I'm Jason. And I am Arco. And so far in this endeavor, which was your idea, Arco. Thank you. We have mostly expanded our boundaries. We have exposed ourselves to movies we wouldn't or, or ordinarily watch. And I think we've had a pretty good time doing it. I've greatly enjoyed myself. Thank you. I enjoyed Fast Five more than I thought. I enjoyed the Avengers more than I thought. I'm glad you had a good time with David Lynch. I um, did. I did. Yes, I did. And with Andre Tarkovsky. Yes. Yes. So that was our goal with this. The goal is not to make this like a mystery science theater. We're going to watch shitty movies and torture ourselves. Yeah, no, uh, we're definitely not doing that. I know that you have good taste in films, even if it's uh, a little bit uh, beyond me. And uh, most of the stuff I like is uh, is, is not so lowbrow that you couldn't enjoy it. Right. And and the point is, is that a lot of people like the movies you like. And there's a reason why, because right. they're, cl- they're crowd pleasers. Yes, yes. And I think that uh, today's challenge that I uh, sent out to you uh, is going to prove that, although I don't think I'm going to have as positive a response from you as I did on the Avengers. That's what I was going to say. Everything to this point has been positive. Right, right. That (laughs) changes now. Okay, okay. You want to go first? You can go ahead. For this week, uh, I challenged Arco to Nicholas Wendinger Fenn's 2013. Yes. um, Only God Forgives. And you challenged me with? 2007's Transformers. Number one. Transformers. By Michael Bay. By Michael Bay. Uh, Written story credits go to John Rogers, Roberto Orchi, I might be pronouncing that wrong, and Alex Kurtzman, and screenplay credits, Roberto Orchi and Alex Kurtzman, and of course directed by Michael Bay. Right, right. Yeah, this was the first uh, Transformers movie I'd seen. If you don't count, because you and I grew up on the Transformers, on the cartoon. Yes. And the movie, the cartoon movie, the animated movie that came out many years ago, was tremendous. Uh, I it was, it was, and uh, we have a very good friend of ours that said just the other day that there is really only one Transformers movie, and that was the 1986 Transformers movie that had uh, Unicron in it, and Hot Rod, and Optimus Prime die, so we remember that one fondly. Exactly. We So, my last exposure to the Transformers was a positive one. I, I felt warmly to these characters, I, I felt love for these autonomous robots from another planet. Right. And and so did I. And that's why uh, even even in my 30s, when this first movie came out, I was looking forward to it because it's, it's a live action Transformers movie where you get to see these these uh, big robots fighting on the screen. It's something you always wanted to see as a kid. And uh, you really hope that uh, it, it would be done well. And Michael Bay is known to uh, do a spectacle of a movie when it comes to special effects. So what could go wrong? What could go wrong? Well, I think what did go wrong is a complete for a complete lack of any attention paid to any human characters. Yes. Um, a complete inability for Michael Bay to plant his camera in one place for more than a half of a fucking second. <laughs> um, the fact that I did not care about anyone in this movie. Every character. This is the first movie I did not enjoy. I it got to the point in this where when the 
the I keep thinking of it as the Tesseract because I keep thinking of the yes. Avengers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What is the name of the the the, the stone, the, the power force that is buried under the Hoover Dam? Uh, right. They call that the All Spark in this film. Right. The All Spark. So mm. at some point I'm watching this movie, okay? Right. And at some point the All Spark is the size of AT&T Stadium in Dallas. Yeah, pretty much. It was very large. And then a lot of stuff happens, and all of a sudden, Shia LaBeouf is running through Nameless City mm-hmm. with yeah. the AllSpark like, in his hands like a football, like he's the Heisman Trophy. It transformed into a Rubik's Cube right before our eyes. Um, I don't know why. I, <laughs> I was watching the movie, and I didn't register that, which makes me wonder how many other things happened that just shot by me because Michael Bay is just throwing everything at the audience all the time. But isn't that the kind of director that he really became uh, in the late uh, 90s and early 2000s with his films where it was more about big show than story? Uh, about uh, It wasn't about understanding what was going on. It was just let me throw this out there and let's see what sticks. So you made me want to go back because there were Michael Bay movies I saw when they came out that I have a fond memory of. Okay. Okay. He directed... Um, his first feature was uh, Bad Boys. Right. Good right. movie. I, that's my recollection. I haven't seen it since 1995. Right. And so, I mean, it, it would be dated now, obviously. Right. But but again, the I think the whole part of this is that we're watching some more. I'm forcing you to watch more older movies than you're mm-hmm. making me. But I think we can appreciate a movie that is old for what it is in its time. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So uh, he, he, does, uh, he does Bad Boys. Then 1996, The Rock. Which is one of my all-time favorite films, and we spoke about this the other day, whether you had seen it or not. You said that you did see it. Uh, you don't, yes. You don't, you recall it fondly, but you know you it, you only saw it once. So if you haven't seen it in twenty-five years, that may be a challenge. Where I say, take a look again and see what if you catch anything in this film that you like better than than then. So uh, do you remember it being fond fondly? I- I remember it fondly, and I'm not sure how much of that is because I'm a Sean Connery fan. Right, right, right. And Nick Cage can be entertaining in certain roles. And and he was in this role. Right. Yes. So my memory of that is positive. And then there was Armageddon, which I saw with an old girlfriend, mm-hmm. and and then Pearl Harbor, and then everything else, like I, uh, the island. And then he just lives in the Transformers. Yes. And, except for he did Six Underground for Netflix, I think this year or this is coming out or it's wait a minute no. about six underground did, was already didn't that out. come out about a year and a half ago yeah imdb yes. i'm sorry it came out last year it came yes. out in 2019 but imdb has it listed as 2022 so uh maybe that's the new series i mean uh, the new episodes it, or second. it's a movie no no it's this a mo- is oh, movie, it was the movie it was the movie regardless the the point is we haven't even gotten to the movie right like so all i'm doing right now is ragging on, on michael bay and right. and for those who haven't seen transformers basically this is what happens Optimus Prime tells you in the opening seconds of the movie, there's this thing, we need to find it, and that's what the movie's going to be about. Before and... the credits roll, he, Michael Bay is like, listen, I'm not going to spend any time explaining the story to you guys, or actually, I'm not, I'm not going to spend any time letting you guys connect the dots on the story. I'm just going to lay this out because I'm not really interested in the story. What I'm interested in is showing you I've got a $140 million FX team that is going to work on this. And they did great work. Like, the effects are very cool. Right. I, I, and that's that's a big part of this film. You you, It was believable about what you were watching, that these things were, were really, you know, 30 feet tall. 
30 feet tall robots right in front of you. And I wonder if that effect in 2007, before we really became benumbed by all of the CGI that exists, you know, thanks to the Marvel Universe and so many other movies, I wonder if the effect of that was more significant when you saw it live. I think that it, um, I, I was very pleased with it when I first saw it. Um, however, and I'm sure you'll get to this, the lack of a story, the lack of uh, characters that you cared about made it more and more difficult to care about the CGI and made it more difficult for me to enjoy the, the, the franchise a, as it went on. And unlike you, I watched three more of these. So you're saying this is actually the high water point for this, the Transformer franchise? It, it really was. It really was. Mm. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't give you any more. In fact, in fact, a uh, uh, little note: the second film that came out, which was uh, came out like two years later, Revenge the, of the Fallen. Uh, Revenge of the Fallen is the only film that I have ever walked out on. You walked out on a Michael Bay movie. I did. I just, I got up. I was with my wife at the time and I said, All right, we got to go. She's like, what are you talking about? She goes, this is terrible. I, we have to get out of this movie theater right now. You I, said, I, Mr. Bay, you have yeah. taken my money one time too many. <laughs> we walked out of there like the place was on fire. <laughs> okay. That's, oh. <laughs> that's, that's how bad that film was. I, so basically, it, it's uh, Shia LaBeouf, LaBeouf plays a very nerdy uh, descendant of an explorer who, it turns out, discovered uh, Megatron frozen in the ice. I think that was what that's, happened, right? That's pretty much what I remember, yes. And uh, under the Hoover administration back in the 30s, <laughs> they, the U.S. government decided to bring... Somehow they transported this giant robot from the Arctic um, yes. to Nevada. Right, and right, right. were able to keep him frozen under the Hoover Dam for 70, 80 years. Yeah, without anybody knowing about it either. And the Autobots have been on the planet, and they eventually realize that the AllSpark is out there. And Shia LaBeouf becomes the uh, kind of the Shia LaBeouf's grandfather's or great grandfather's glasses become the MacGuffin that is the map to finding out where the AllSpark is. All of that is really relevant. Right, because all of because it is all just an excuse for Michael Bay to fetishize and masturbate to the United States military industrial complex. As it, really is that what you took from that? I thought it was more along the lines of. And now I don't know his own views on things, but I got it as he just wanted to show off uh, Megan Fox as he did in a lot of still shots, and he wanted to blow up things. That's really what I got from this film. Uh, but but I. I do see the military part of it now that you bring it up. I mean, I like that's the thing is is Michael Bay is a director of over the top action, right? And if you take him and and we're joking around for the most part because God knows Michael Bay has made way more movies than I have, and the odds are he knows what he's doing. He he does, he does absolutely. Yeah, the question is just whether or not like it's something that I want him to be doing, and I I don't think I do. I would like him to stop or I, maybe just turn it down. But isn't that? that's really the problem here is that there is a man out there who is making these types of films that obviously somebody is going to see they've this first movie made three quarters of a billion dollars if i'm not if i'm not mistaken the other three that came after this each made over 1.5 billion dollars and how much of that is because transformers is like a known quantity from our childhood i well i mean 
the first uh, I mean I, I I didn't see too many people my age <laughs> in the movie theater watching this film but uh, you know I, I I would imagine there is something to it and here's another thing I know that the fir- the Transformers series when we were kids was made specifically just to sell toys they yes. they have said that yes. so so but one thing I don't remember is actually seeing too many new Transformer toys come out after the movies were released in, in since 2007. No, I so, don't know. I don't have kids, so maybe they were, but I just didn't. <laughs> I don't well, know. I mean, my daughter didn't care about Transformers, but uh, there was more for me. I, I, basically, I was looking for toys, Jason. But, you know, <laughs> hang on. You just, you just, uh, you made an interesting point, right? Like, because I've complained to you that I don't like when current, when modern movies essentially mine our childhoods and sell it back to us in this packaged, corporatized uh, memory of what we had as children. Right. But you bring up a good point. The actual intention of the cartoon that I loved and watched after school when I was in grade school was to sell us toys. At 100%. And they, were, they made no bones about that. They told you outright. In fact, the movie that we love, the Transformers movie that came out in 1986, was also put out so they could sell the second or third generation of toys that was coming out. So they needed to kill off these characters so imagine and i've read articles where where the mother mothers would ki- bring their kids to this movie that they, they all wanted to see and within the first 15 minutes they literally kill optimus yes. prime and a bunch of other autobots that were very well known were torn to pieces yes so there were kids crying in the aisles during these movies so this was that was fantastic <laughs> <laughs> but you, but it makes me wonder like how much of what i've consumed has been designed intentionally to sell me something and i just don't want to see that about my own youth and i don't want to to accept that which is why i reject this new version of something that i loved dearly as a child or is it a question that i just grew up and my taste got arguably I, better I, I, <laughs> uh knowing you i would say it's a more of the latter um <sighs> but but we cannot deny that uh, that did happen in our youth and it turned us uh, on to these these products i mean i had a few transformers when i was younger you know so did i yeah so uh you know and i and i ended up buying the comic books also which sort of tied into the stories that we were seeing in the shows or, or expanded on it so hey they 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 did their job <laughs> And you know what's amazing? I'm looking now at IMDb, mm-hmm. and Bay has directed five of these. Since 2007, he's made Transformers, and then Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, Transformers, Dark Side of the Moon. He did Pain and Gain, that movie. I haven't seen that with Which, Rock and oh, Mark Wahlberg. Good movie. Very good yeah. movie. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, I, I remember seeing that that was like kind of a not, not a, not a, it was a good version of that kind of movie. And, and it um, wasn't obviously a... A Michael Bay movie in the uh, strictest sense. There's no explosions in this in that film. Right, right, and that's that says something. So then he does. He goes back to the well. He does another Transformers movie, Age of Extinction. Then he does the Benghazi movie, Thirteen Hours. Right, right. And I then see. I haven't seen that either. Uh, John Krasinski, I think. Yeah. Uh, and and then he does Transformers: The Last Night. Um, I haven't seen that. So really, the last movie, the last Michael Bay movie I saw before. Two days ago was Armageddon, 1998. Okay. And if you had stopped there, I think you would have been happy. 
I think I would too. Because yeah. I want to, because again, but it's one of those things where, okay, I have a positive memory of The Rock. I have a positive memory of, like even Armageddon. You know Armageddon's manipulative and, and sort of the the worst way in that it, I don't think that the emotions that Armageddon gets out of you are earned. Right. I think it, it, it uses the most uh, basic way to, to get you invested in characters, but I think it does it really well. That's my memory of it. But it's I, been 23 I mean, years. I, I I didn't see Armageddon in the movie theater. I was uh, I was too much into Godzilla. And, and when that bombed, I would think I was pissed off that I didn't go see anything else the rest of that, that summer. Uh, was that how, the Matthew Broderick Godzilla? Oh, yeah, yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> I don't remember uh, that at let's, all. Let's, let's not talk about that. But... Um, but I think, I think that if we had stopped at uh, at, at bay in '98 with Armageddon, I, I think that uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that everything that he did afterwards, it, it really wouldn't have mattered, in my opinion. But that's so you, so you had someone had someone taken the keys to the bank that he needs every single time he makes a movie because none of these things can cost less than $100 million. No, they're easily $200 million productions, all of them. And that even in 2007, which was a lot of money then. And and from like a, from a strict like filmmaking point of view, and again, I've made zero movies. I don't know anything about this stuff, except I know what I like. Right. And with him, my issue is, I listened, well, let me tell you this. I listened to a podcast the other day, Script Notes Podcast. These two mm-hmm. screenwriters, very well respected and very intelligent. They have been in Hollywood for 20 years apiece. And they re-released an old episode about Die Hard. Okay. okay. And Die Hard is an action movie that I've heard, and they talk about it on this podcast, uh, that Die Hard does a great job of orienting the viewer in terms of where the action is going on, in what part of the building, in Nakatomi Plaza they're in. Okay, now we're back in the elevator shaft, and okay, yeah, he passes the the calendar that's on the wall, right. and you always know what's going on where. Okay. I had no clue what was going on for most of Transformers in terms of the action. It's like the camera was on a swivel the entire time. It's like he created a special type of camera that rolled. And, and and just the the lens would be forward, but it would be it was like it was in a ball, and you would it would be all over the place. Even when he's lingering on Megan Fox, the camera's moving. Still there moving. is no, there's no time for an audience to breathe. Um, I, I, that may be his uh, his his plan. Uh, it may also be looking back on it and knowing how bad the story really is. Again, this was a guilty pleasure movie for me, okay? And and the reason I gave it to you is because I know that you are a big story guy. And I knew that you, you would want to see a story. I knew you weren't going to see one in this one. But I really wanted to get your reaction. And maybe that's how he deals with not having a story. Basically, confuse everybody to the point that they don't really care. Do you know the the, the semi-famous uh, line in the, in the Armageddon DVD commentary... Um, ben Affleck is talking about how apparently at some point in the production, he went up to Michael Bay and he said, wait a minute, wouldn't it make more sense to teach astronauts how to drill into a rock instead of teaching uh, roughnecks how to be astronauts? And apparently Michael Bay took great offense at that. Yeah. And that, <laughs> that, that's like a known story. So that tells you what it is. If you If you approach Michael Bay with logic, you are going to get on his bad side. Well, I mean, basically Ben Affleck was ruining his film. 
for him and and the premise of this film. And I, I'm sorry, did you say that Michael Bay wrote Armageddon or did he uh, just uh, just No, I don't think he wrote. I don't think Michael Bay writes his movies. I think okay. he's purely director. No. Uh, oh, <laughs> wow. J.J. Uh, Abrams and Tony Gilroy are credited writers on Armageddon. Both writers who I've liked their work in the past. <laughs> okay. Wow. Oh, yes. Now I'm the idiot. No, it's not that you're an idiot. I just, uh, that, that, that is pretty interesting. Um, what did you say to me the other day? You were surprised that somebody was a producer on this film? Uh, Steven Spielberg is credited. Because I, I, I sat through the credits because I wanted to identify the people who stole these two hours and 25 minutes of my life. Oh. So I wanted to remember them. You could have started with me, but I appreciate you uh, giving your anger that way. But now, but, this is for a cause. Well, I pre- appreciate that. Steven Spielberg. And he was, uh, like, I'm looking at the credits right now, and I don't really see his name on here. However, I know that he was involved because after the second film, uh, Megan Fox made a uh, remark comparing um to to the press comparing michael bay to i believe hitler in the way that he goes about uh directing his films so steven spielberg you know a genius that was with uh, that that created schindler's list took great offense to that and had michael bay fire her so that's how much power he had over the production of these films wow does that, that tells su- you a lot yeah does that surprise you though that that Steven Spielberg, genius that he is, and and not only in effects, because he has revolutionized effects all the way since Jaws, but a great storyteller that was that has been one of the few maybe that has been able to combine effects and story to make a truly great uh, movie event. Yeah, movie maker of of essentially my my childhood, my yeah, entire yeah. youth. So does that surprise you that he has put his name to this series? Does it surprise? Yeah, it kind of surprises me. It surprises me that he was so. It surprises me because we don't know, like you know, all we know about Hollywood is what we read on right, websites course. and blogs and and Deadline. And it surprises me that Michael Bay has as much. Well, maybe it shouldn't. It surprises me that Michael Bay has as much juice as he does. But then again, if Michael Bay is making movies that are are generating a billion dollars worldwide, I and mean, they were and they were. What you know? What what else are? What else are you going to do if Michael Bay says I'm going to fire Megan Fox? Who who's more valuable? It's Michael Bay. Yeah, I I, I agree. I agree, and that's why uh, Steven Spielberg uh, stepped in and made made him fire her. And then you had the rotating uh, bevy of actresses for the next two or three movies. Um, you know, kind of forgettable, like like the first one was. Uh, you know, tell me something about this movie. Tell me, tell me, uh, can you give me a, a plot other than what you told me already? Like, where's it going? It's, it's basically, um, uh, Sam Witwicky, the child, no. by the way, that name, what the, f- I, every name is, uh, is purposefully and intentionally chosen. Witwicky? Well, uh, that was the name and the character in the, in the TV show. Really? You, but you don't remember because you don't because we didn't watch the mo- the show for the humans, did we? We watched yeah. it for the freaking cartoon. We watched it for the cartoon robots that were transforming into trucks. Was that actually the name of the character in the and show? Yes, in the cartoon? Yes, it was. Oh, 
shit. Mm-hmm. Well, now my whole <laughs> argument is is just been pulled out from under me. Yeah, yeah. And then and then later in the movie, Sam has a son whose name uh, you know uh, escapes me at the moment. And and during the movie, they, they he actually not the son. Uh, Sam says uh, the older Sam now says says the curse shit. As a matter of fact, and. I can imagine. I can imagine what the mothers were saying between uh, between people dying on on screen and now cursing. I said the curse. The the curse. Shit. Watching this movie a few times. I'm sure you did. <laughs> Usually prefaced by the word bull. <laughs> like yeah. okay, so so you asked me like more more or less, and we don't really necessarily go through roll through plot, but but essentially the the plot as I got it was. Um, Sam's great-great-grandfather or great-grandfather was an Arctic explorer who discovered Megatron. Um, at some point, the map to the Allspark was imprinted on his, great, his great-great-grandfather's eyeglasses. Right, right. Uh, this becomes known to the Autobots and Decepticons because he posts those eyeglasses to eBay. Yes. And essentially, it all becomes a hunt where they got, they're both looking for Sam because they know Sam can indirectly lead both the Autobots and Decepticons to the Allspark. And there's at one point when when the Autobots just decide to have like a team meeting at Griffith Observatory in right, LA. Right, right. And they and this is what I say is manipulative with Michael Bay is they go from we've got to stop Megatron to Optimus Prime like a sentence later saying I will kill myself to save all of humanity. <laughs> and everyone's like we're there already like there's no incremental steps you're going from zero to self-sacrifice like uh, straight off the bat and uh and that is actually a sentiment that changes more than once in the uh following um, uh, movies that come out in the second and third one how uh they uh, they become uh, angry at the humanity for for treating the transformers the way that they do and but they then they say no 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 we 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 need to protect them okay well i i made some notes about the issues that really kind of irritated me okay, okay? just okay. some some little things these are just you know curiosity right. no not curiosity these are just you know little observations mm-hmm. um because he spends so little time with the humans, every human has to be this outsized, over-the-top personality. Anthony Anderson is on, like, a 15 from Speed. the moment. <laughs> it's insane what Anthony Anderson is doing with his character. Um, the soldiers, when you meet them out in Qatar, mm-hmm. uh, oh, that guy's Spanish. That guy's from Boston. Yes, Tyrese is, wears a beret. Like, they're all these just, they get one thing. Josh, order Duham- to diff- Josh DeHamel, or Duhamel, how do you say his name? I always thought it was Duhamel. Duhamel, I don't there, know. there you go. Love him. He was great in this film. <laughs> I don't I don't know what's being asked of anyone. I also don't know how hard, you know what, I, I, I don't know how hard it is to act on a green screen or to mm-hmm. act to, a, you know, a bunch of tennis balls mm-hmm. that are, that signify a face or, or an eyeball. So I don't right. know, I'm sure right. that's not easy, but. You know, Megan Fox is the hot girl who also can work on cars, and Shia LaBeouf is the nerd, and but no character really gets beyond that. No, none of them, none of them are fleshed out in any way. John Voight is just, and this is the other thing that I yell in all in caps. I made a note: everyone is very excited all the time and all speak in a very aggressive, clipped manner. Yeah, that's every line of dialogue is issued like someone is giving an order in the military. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure if we had closed captioning on while watching this film, every sentence would have exclamation points at the end of it. 
Yeah, that's the other thing. And also, and, and there, there are two points that I observed Bay references himself. Really? There's, I, I, there's I a remember. scene. Okay, there's a scene when the Decepticons start kind of crashing into different parts, or the Autobots, I forget who it was. But when the robots start kind of crashing into different parts of the world. Right. Um, oh, by yes, the way, that, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. The, so the, the kid walking, that, running down the uh, street and talking yeah, about Yeah, this is yeah. way cooler than Armageddon. Right, right. <laughs> okay. Oh, I get it. Oh, you you made Armageddon. Um, and then later on, when Shia LaBeouf is on the roof, <laughs> LaBeouf on the roof, yeah. um, when he's on the roof and he's trying to get the AllSpark to the helicopter, mm-hmm. he has to signal with smoke. Right. And I, oh. I remember a scene in the climax of The Rock. Oh, great movie. <laughs> when Nick Cage had to call off the strike on Alcatraz by signaling with a certain flare smoke. And listen, making movies is not easy, but come on, let's let's stop mining your your own he ra- your own he, work. He he does rehash himself, I guess. I guess that's a good catch on your part. And uh, can only, you can only imagine how many more times he did this. He went to that well over the next four movies. Oh my god, I can't even imagine. <laughs> and then can't. there's two, there's two other things. Um, John Turturro, an actor I love. <laughs> I knew in I knew everything. Say about him. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. How much money yeah. did they give John Turturro to strip down to a ridiculous pair of boxer shorts <laughs> and to be this, <laughs> the broadest attempt? And I get that that's what the movies are. They're not really supposed, but there's not a lot of comedy. See, that's the other thing. Like I'm saying, they're not taking themselves seriously, but there's not a lot of humor either i don't think you know i I, w- I would say that he is the comic relief but there you know anthony anderson also is comic relief in this and uh Shia that's a good has point. a couple of uh has a couple of uh, uh of scenes where he you know little slapstick stuff goes on with him makes you laugh i, I totally agree about john Turturro. however i will say this he does his very best to sell this to you and seeing as how he's in the next two movies also it doesn't stop, and he becomes even a bigger caricature of himself. So then maybe he he knows what he's doing, where he's like, I'm in a ridiculous, th- this is insane what I'm working on, but I'm just going to go all in on it and just be this most ridiculous version of this character. Yes, absolutely, and I think all of them, uh, every single actor, major actor who is in these films, realizes that, and no, we're not talking about uh, Shia, Shia LaBeouf only, we're talking about people like... Um, John Voight. John Voight in this film with John Turturro. In the, the, the third one, specifically, he also has Francis McDermott in it. Two-time, two? Yeah, two-time Oscar winner, Francis McDermott, uh, acting, uh, you know, acting in a way that you wouldn't, you wouldn't normally see in this film, in, in any of her films. I mean, these people are in it for the money and, you know, just to have a good time, I guess. Yeah, like, listen, I'm not, I'm not, hey, if Michael Bay came to me and said, I will give you, you know, six figures to to spend four days on a green screen, I'm probably going to say yes. I'm probably doing it for less, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, so, so I'm not, I'm not begrudging, listen, I don't begrudge anyone the work and right. I'm, I'm not saying that these movies, I'm not the asshole saying they shouldn't even make these movies. I'm just saying that like these movies seem strange to me. Also, are you going to give me every movie Tyrese has ever been in? That was uh, purely by coincidence. But let me tell you something. Before, uh, I forgot Tyrese even existed after uh, the uh, second Fast and the Furious movie. And then when I saw him in this, I'm like, oh, I remember that guy. 
So, Tyrese has been yeah. in my in, in my living room a lot in the past week and a half. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't think he'll be in the next one that I give you. I promise. No, that's fine. I mean, he was. He was. I. I again, no, no one really. No one gets a chance to make a like a positive impression. Like I really didn't care for for Sam Witwicky. Like I, it's it's very hard to care. And then you you know you bring Megan Fox in because she's beautiful and because she's the girl that that Sam wants to be with. Right. Uh, and 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 that's fine. And you need that sort of emotional touchstone. You need your your main character to be wanting something that's that grounds him in sort of an emotional uh, reality, right, right? Instead of just having robots even though you said that you would love king kong versus godzilla just to be two hours of the monsters fighting oh it would have been so much better <laughs> i mean oh please let's not even start on that that's heartbreaking but I, I i mean i just i there was nothing oh yeah sam's parents were both everyone's a caricature oh. in this everyone is some sam's broad parents. and and then uh, sam's father was in the uh, 1998 godzilla movie he was the general in that Kevin Dunn. I th- he's Kevin one Dunn. of those guys that, you, that you've seen in a ton of stuff. Oh, you say, and... I know that guy. I know that guy. Yeah, absolutely. That face. He definitely has that face. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I just clicked on him. Do you know they made A League of Their Own into a TV series? Um, I thought I heard that. Is he in that? Apparently, yeah. Who is he in that? Is he a coach? Uh, he plays Morris Baker. He's in. He's credited in one episode. I didn't even know they were making that into a show. I wonder if he plays uh, John Lovitz's character from uh, the like the Scout. Oh yeah, that that would make sense. That would make sense. Yeah, but well, that, um, that was a great movie too. Yeah, I like that movie a lot. Uh, uh, League of Their Own. Yeah, really absolutely. good movie. Yeah. But yeah, by by the time this was over, like when when you you hooked me, like Fast Five. Here's the thing: Fast Five and Avengers are the similar. They're a similar kind of movie, right? To this, right? Yeah, similar. Very similar. Yes. Yeah, but. Those two movies did a pretty good job of establishing someone I need to care about mm-hmm. and then building to this crescendo of uh, the vault heist in, in Sao Paulo right. or, or Rio and, yeah. and the Battle of New York and the Avengers. And so you bring me along on this journey and then it climaxes at that point and you're kind of there for it. And you're like, all right, cool. I'll buy into this Chitauri or flying all over Manhattan. I don't know. I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> so as sterilized as you said, as, the, as you said, the Avengers was last week, you still feel that you were more emotionally invested in that film than you were in this one. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Okay. Okay. hundred percent. That's, that's the, the Avengers is the perfect example of that kind of movie right like there's nothing you can look at and you can say they failed to like they draw the characters they they give you an emotional arc to latch on to it's interesting to look at there's some comedy it does every it, it checks all the boxes well it's funny you say that and i'm happy to hear that you say that but i am future challenges is going to really is going to prove that point i feel is going to prove that point where you're going to see that the Avengers movies that you are going to see are even better and even more emotionally grounded and will make you feel something. And that's what I want. Like if, if, if you, if you throw me these movies that I thought I was not going to be a fan of, or I closed my mind down to, or, you know, I, I, I otherwise rejected where I somehow saw that, like, I'm not going to watch that. That's beneath me. Not that I think that, but it's just not something that's interesting to me. 
I can. That's what I want. Like if you if you say to me, trust me, watch these. You'll you'll be glad you did. And I and I watch them and I enjoy them. And that's yeah. that's great. That's what we're here for. Yeah, I, I, but, I think um, that uh, I think that that was the type of movie that I knew that this wasn't going to be that film. But I really th- thought that you needed to see this one, which I still, again, guilty pleasure. When I see it on t- TV, I'll watch as much of it as I possibly can. I still think you needed to just watch this one to see w- what what has become of Hollywood, where you know five movies, a hundred uh, one billion dollars each is made, and uh, you know it, it kind of goes back to your point that. These are the kind of films that are being made now at the sacrifice of filmmakers and indie artists who can't make what they really want. Right. And we don't, I mean, and, and again, that is conjecture on our part and my part mostly about like, what do they really want for all I know? Maybe, you know, Ryan Coogler did want to make uh, Black Panther and he wanted to redefine the superhero genre, but, and maybe Chloe Zhao did want to make Eternals, but I also think... I would be hopeful that there's still an opportunity for filmmakers like them, because we've talked about them a lot, to also make the smaller, more intimate movies um, that I'm drawn to. But I'm in the minority, right? Uh, um, I, at the moment, you are in the minority, and I don't want. <laughs> and as as a friend of yours, but as a person also who enjoys films, I don't want you to think that that's how it's always going to be. I know, I know that it's going to be cyclical. Uh, I really do. And maybe this is the first time in Hollywood history that it's ever gone on for this long and has been this uh, successful for these type of films to keep on going. However, I know that it will come down to earth at some point, and we are going to get better stories out there for smaller movies. Well, like, like you said, a- along those lines, like for years, for, for God, for decades, Hollywood pumped out how many Westerns? Like, that's from from 1950 to 1972 that's all you had that's all you had and then that's movies like the wild butch changed mm-hmm. it and then, and then the westerns kind of died and then you know clint redid it with uh unforgiven and oh. there have been 310 to yuma there have been other attempts but the western was the go-to genre for that's for a, the longest time and for the last like 16 years it's been superhero movies and maybe Eternals is changing that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but they clearly, I mean, they're not, no, because we're going to get Spider-Man far from home or homebound or and, and everybody's I'm home now. The, everybody's going to forget the Eternals when Spider-Man opens up to a half a million dollars, uh, excuse me, half a billion dollars made in the first two weekends. Yeah. So that, that'll yeah, be and then. And I'm going to be sitting with like four other people in another theater watching licorice pizza and, and, <laughs> and I'm going to be weeping quietly. That's funny. <laughs> but you know, you, you were talking about like the emotional touchstones and, and, and how like this is what these movies are on. Um, I don't usually use Rotten Tomatoes, but Anthony Lane for The New Yorker in July 2007 wrote his quote that's listed in Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> is, Bay's movie is the grandest proof so far that when it comes to movie characterization, flesh and blood have had their chance. From here on, it's up to metal and plastic. And I think that's the key. Like, you're, you're supposed to care. You end up caring more about Bumblebee and Optimus and... Who was it? J- was it Jazz? Oh, J- oh Jazz. God, Jazz, Jazz was fucking... Jazz was insufferable. Oh, my but, God. But but you notice what happened to Jazz. <laughs> no, I don't even know. That's the thing. Is I, he, got, he got torn uh, in I, half. He got torn in half. Megatron tore him in half on top of a building. And that you didn't was Jazz? Even, that was Jazz. <laughs> Do you see the problem here? Yeah, you didn't even know. I mean, a, and a huge character. Jazz was a huge character in our childhood uh, yeah. series and the cartoons. Huge. And he was killed off like that. 
But that says a lot. You know, the other thing is that I realize is that I'm also a car guy. I've expressed to you, I, I yes. love cars. Yes, yes, and yes. this was basically a commercial for General Motors, a two-hour, 30-minute commercial. <laughs> yes, And like even the car porn eventually... Wore off. Just wore off. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I love, I love that Camaro. I love that, that, that cool sort of concept car take on the Camaro. And, and even that, I'm like, oh, okay. But, I mean... All right. Yeah, well, Transformers. 2000, yeah, yeah. 2007, it made more money than more money than God. And uh, I'm just one idiot with a microphone who didn't care for it. Okay. That's, hey, listen, that's fine. I, hey, let I, me tell I, you, the I'm, pe- glad, I'm, I'm glad just, you accepted I, the challenge. I, I, will, I will never turn one down. But just to say, like, the people who made this movie, I'm just, again, I'm ragging on a movie I didn't care for. But the people that made this movie know what they're doing. I was looking at the, uh, the screenwriter, Robert, uh, Roberto Orchi. And I might be pronouncing that wrong. He is a prolific uh, TV and and film producer. Um, he's been doing uh, Hawaii Five O, I guess, on CBS has been running for 182 episodes. Did you know oh, this? Um, I didn't know. Was is it still on? Because it's been on for like the better part of this decade. It's been on since 2010. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's when it started. That's uh, Scott Kahn is uh, one of the leads in that. Yes. Yeah. But it's a, it's amazing to and this just shows you how there's there's so much content where it's impossible to keep up with everything. Not that I would necessarily watch a CBS show based on Hawaii 50, but Oh, this guy was he was also a he was also a co-executive producer of Alias. <laughs> I'm sorry. I never liked I never liked that show ever. That show had a lot wasn't that JJ Abrams? That show had a lot of uh Yeah, it was her. It was uh him uh um that was also a kind of a big break for Bradley Cooper. Um uh, besides He was uh, he was in Alias? Yes, he was. Wow. Huh? Yeah, this guy's also been the the he's been big in the in the reboots of the the Star Trek franchise. Yeah. Which I've I've mostly liked. Yeah, me too. I agree. Yeah, we love So, those. yeah, clearly like the the whole thing is a lot of people work really hard to make a movie. And mm-hmm. they shouldn't listen to one schmuck, not that anyone is, but they shouldn't listen to one <laughs> schmuck with a microphone who's saying, right. oh, this movie stunk, because it's just my take on no, it, because these I, people know what they're doing. I agree. I, I agree. We uh, we can, uh, well, these are just our opinions, and uh, just like you said, these are movies that we like or we don't like, but we've seen a whole bunch of them, so we uh, we know what we do like, and uh, yeah. yeah, this is us just uh, shooting the shit. Yeah, exactly. And uh, speaking of what we liked and what we didn't like... Mm-hmm. Did you like or dislike, not that we want to make it that binary, Only God Forgives? I definitely enjoyed this film. So Really? Yeah, I did. I did. I did. You, you have you, gave you me have this no challenge. idea how happy yeah. that makes me. I, I never heard of this film. Okay. And uh, when you told me uh, it was, uh, I'm sorry, uh, a Nicholas Vinden Rafen. Am I saying that correct? I, th- I think it's Nicholas Winding Rafen. He's yeah. Danish. It's, it's, yes, he is Danish. But although he speaks better English than we do, trust me. Um, I, I listened to an interview. Most people do. I, I never heard of uh, of this movie. And now I heard of the movie Drive. So apparently um, Ryan Gosling is this director's muse that he would use them uh, twice within two years. But this film, as 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 hard as it was to watch, it was very well done. It was very good, um, which is a little surprising when I read the reviews on it. And oh, uh, it was you know, hated. It it was it was, and we'll get to that in a minute. But it's funny when I told you I was watching it on uh, I think it was Tuesday. 
it was uh, about 10 o'clock in the morning, 10.30. I told you I was watching. You said, oh, it's too early to watch that. And I thought you meant like too early in the week. Like, you know, we're not going to record till later in the week. And then I realized you meant that it's 10 o'clock in the morning and this movie is way too tough to watch at that time. And as you said that, you know, some stuff started happening. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty rough. And uh, but I mean, you know, the ultra violence uh, aside, when it when it did happen, the movie had a great story. However, minimalist it was told. Yeah. Um, yeah, watching this movie at 10 o'clock in the morning is, is kind of like walking into a bar at the same time, <laughs> same time. and deciding you're just going to get <laughs> obliteratingly drunk. Yeah. Give, give me the strong stuff at 10 a.m. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's no one, everyone's going to look at you with a raised eyebrow. Yeah. I, I, I agree. So thankfully nobody was here watching this. Um, the, uh, Ryan Gosling's character, Julian, uh, what can you say about this character? He is memorable to me. But only because he really didn't do for most of the film. I'm honestly, if this film is two hours long, there was only five minutes that he did anything memorable in this film. He he. You said last week that he would only have about sixteen lines of dialogue. I don't. I was trying to count. He may not even have gotten there. The man spoke with his face only. Didn't, he didn't speak with his lips because he just gave you looks throughout this film. And you had and a, mo- most of those looks are kind of the same. They were all the same. And so I, I was wondering to myself, is his char- is he playing this character as perhaps a person who is on the spectrum of autism? Is he playing it, it, it in that way? And you find out later on that he probably suffered some sort of trauma in his life and earlier in his life and uh and he did and, and yeah i can probably, tell you what that trauma is yes of course I, and i remember he he killed his own father with his bare hands oh so, i think it goes beyond that well i think his mother obviously started off with the trauma where she has been belittling him his entire life oh i there's a there's a belief in out there in the world that he was he had slept with his mother on a number of occasions well I, I tell you what, I thought about that today when I was uh, re-watching it so I could take some more notes. I got to the part where the the, the, the mother, who uh, is played by uh, Kristen Scott Thomas, her name is Crystal. She she's is, so cool. She's so good in this. She's very good in this film. And I had forgotten that she existed, to be quite honest with you. I forgot she was in the English, pace, uh, in the English Patient. And she sat down with, uh, with uh, Ryan Gosling's character, Julian, and his uh, quote-unquote girlfriend and just berated belittled put him down in the worst possible ways that i mean i cringed when she said some of those things and i really don't want to say those things now but i mean they were bad yeah yeah they yeah were, she they is were bad. she is so against type and yeah. i didn't even realize until doing research for this i somehow forgot that she's she's british and was she? Oh, I, I, you know what? I, maybe. I mean, uh, you no, know. no, no. The actual, actual Kristen Scott Thomas, who is a dame. I did not realize that she is oh, Cornish. Okay. She was born uh, in Cornwall. 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 Yeah. Okay. Well, kudos to her because that was a great accent that she had, and it had nothing to do with Britain. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> no, uh, not at all. This this film is is about the uh, underworld of uh, of ba- Bangkok. And it's it's really it's two sides of the underworld. It is the bad side, and you have the good side, uh, which is in 
it, it's played by the, the good side is uh well i mean the, the good person in this in good bad whatever lieutenant chang and i can't even pronounce his name so i'm not even going to try the the actor who did this who you told me was fantastic as this uh police officer he really was he's, i don't know i don't know terrifying. what else he's done he's he really he is terrifying he is a he is the officer of the law but he is playing god and, yeah, yeah, and yes. Yeah, so he's playing God, and he is taking it upon himself to literally be judge, jury, and executioner on the streets. These people that he catches uh, don't, as far as I know, never even get to trial. They they're tried in the streets, and some of them walk away. Most of the, but if they do, they don't walk away with all their parts, do they? No, and and. Rafen has has commented in interviews that he views the the Chang character, and again, he's played by the Thai actor Vitaya Parsrangarm. Um, Pansrangarm. I, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Yeah, but he's essentially the representation of of God on Earth. And, right, right. And 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 if you watch more Rafen, and I don't know if you will, but if you watch more Rafen, you'll you'll learn that that his version of God or his vision of God is a vengeful Old Testament smite. I will smite you down. And that's God. what I read. That's what I read. But God can be forgiving. However, he can also uh, bring the punishment, for lack of a better way of putting it. Well, and, even, yeah. e- even in, 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 in Chang being forgiving in, in whatever capacity he has, the way he's forgiving with Julian is he cuts his arms off in yes. the end of the movie. Yes. And he essentially removes Julian's ability to be violent. Yeah, so Julian, you can tell, is has a violent streak in him. Uh, you probably couldn't tell that until he starts screaming at his girlfriend um, after the dinner date. But it, it came out of nowhere. I mean, it, he went from a 1 to a 25 on the decibel in, in one second. So, you know, it, it, you, you kind of felt like there was something smoldering there. You couldn't really tell until that happened. And when his mother said that, you know, he's, he's, you don't know what he's like. He's dangerous. He's a dangerous boy. You know, even not even calling him a man, just a dangerous boy. Killed his father with his bare hands, she says. And, you know, at the end, you know, getting to getting spoiling, you know, at the end, Chang is going to exact his brand of justice by cutting off both of his hands, both of his arms, really. And, and, and perhaps Julian in doing that and losing his arms is losing the worst part of him and which is kind of like why he willingly put out both of his arms take them away from me they're the worst part of me they're the they're the things that i hate the most and maybe this is a new life for him a change a, ch- a change for him that's how i got it suppose i read one blog post that said supposedly there was a, a scene that was not shot but was conceived of yes, that was yes. going to show the girlfriend um feeding, feeding him, yes. him yeah. armless to, yeah. to kind of hint at some sort of happy ending i don't think that was necessary going back to how we feel about these characters you felt nothing for any of the characters in transformers but there were characters in, in um, people in this film that you definitely felt something about and uh looking back on it Julian's mother, Crystal, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas's character, is probably the the biggest character in this in this film that makes you feel anything. And for me, I hated her from the moment she stepped into that hotel and and asked to speak to the manager. You knew that you were going to hate her. And when she ended up, you know, putting Julian down, you felt for him. 
Yeah, you saw, you kind of saw why he was the way he was, detached from the world. And when she met her fate at the end of this film by Chang killing her the way that he did, I was overjoyed. (laughs) I really was. I, I haven't felt overjoyed at a death in a long time. The people that you that you feel for so Rafen's thing. The people you feel for in this movie are the people that almost that get killed almost instantly. The women that are forced into the sex trade. Um, the father of the girl that that Billy kills, who yes. Chang then allows the father to kill Billy, mm-hmm. and then Chang essentially punishes the father for even allowing his daughter to live in that life to begin with. Right, and, and that, it, that's, that's the biggest punishment. He's saying that, you know, do you even know what, you know, you knew that she was doing, how could you let her do this? Right, and that's kind of like the, the, the story about like when, when the boat people were leaving Vietnam, and maybe I'm just making this connection because of the region of the, of the world where this movie takes place, but when the boat people left Vietnam, terrible crimes were perpetrated against them by, by pirates who did terrible things to these, these refugees. And it's easy to feel compassion for the people that had to leave, that had to flee Vietnam. It is much harder to have compassion for these pirates, but imagine the lives that they had to lead that pushed them to take those acts. And I think that's kind of like the father of the girl who's killed by Billy is his life is he, he has all girls. And the only way he can survive is by selling them into the sex trade. Yes, yes. And, you know, talking about fathers, too, because uh, that's another theme in this. You have one father, Chang, who is, you know, a doting father, making sure that his daughter gets the best that she possibly can in the life that they live, an honest life. And you have the father that we just spoke of who who sold his uh, one daughter, at least, into the sex trade. What about the father who arranged the assassination on Chang's life when Chang hunt, you know, is able to track him down? He's not much of anything. He doesn't look like much. He's uh, living in a junkyard, basically, look to me, in his garage. And what is he doing when we find him? He's feeding his handicapped child. Yeah. Now, now this is a guy who was able to orchestrate a hit on Chang. You know, it didn't work, obviously, but Chang knows that he, he was about to be assassinated. It didn't work. And this is the guy that put it together. He did not punish him. He didn't punish him because he thought that for whatever reason, he felt for the for the man who was taking care of his family. Or he and, felt for the and, kid. Know, well, he felt for the kid. I, I, I guess. I'm, I'm sorry. He felt for the kid. So he, he didn't take his father away from as far as we know, he didn't punish him, but maybe he took a limb uh, from him also. But he, right. you know, he killed the other guy in a ghoulish fashion right there in front of everybody. But you know, this is the kind of warped morality that Chang had that is shown throughout this film. And, uh, and I thought that was a, a, a pretty powerful scene. Yeah, and this is kind of Refn's, Refn's warped morality or his complete nihilistic um, approach to the world. Because as his work has gone on and he started... With um, he started with the Danish movie Pusher with Mads Mikkelsen, and they, yeah. I think they did three of them. Yes, and, um, I haven't seen trilogy. them, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. but I want to see them. And then he did uh, he did Bronson uh, Valhalla Rising, which mm-hmm. is this like Nordic uh, Norse Viking epic. Uh, and then he hits big with Drive. Right. Have you seen Drive? I have not. I, okay, so I, I I saw bits and pieces of it. I've seen the elevator scene, but with no con- with no context to it, so I couldn't tell you exactly why that happened. However, you know that my uh, 
you know, I have a, uh, a sickness when it comes to uh, movies that I haven't seen. You know what I do. So yes. I have already ruined it for myself as I wikied it today. But I would say that with Refen's movies and with his work, the story comes second to the symbolism and the staging. And, and again, like, like Lynch, sort of the experiential vibe that all of his stuff puts out. My thing with, with Drive and, and Drive was, Drive is only God forgives with a, a, a much tighter story and sunlight. Or, or more sunlight than in uh, than in Only God Forgives. But all of his movies are so stylistically over the top. Everything is bathed in neon. Every shot is so perfectly blocked out and so perfectly set up. And I, I even when nothing is happening, I'm drawn to what is on the screen. I'm drawn to Cliff Martinez's score. Did you like the music? Yeah, that was my next point. I I do like the the score. It was I, again. I call this a minimalist film. I'm not sure if you agree there because I know it's a it, it's a fairly no, it's not a huge budget film, but it's a it's a major film. But they did so much with so little, and I, when it comes to the music, there was parts of this that there was also no music in the background until you heard a little low rumble that lasts for about ten. 15 seconds and it slowly gradually gets louder and louder until you it, until you feel like the thunder that's coming is going to mean that something's going to happen on the screen and that's exactly what happens yeah and uh oddly enough the 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 composer for the music cliff martinez uh who has done a lot of uh refens uh soundtracks um former member i believe of red hot chili peppers briefly Oh, uh, I'm definitely not the person to speak to that. I am not a huge Chili Pepper fan. Uh, no, neither am I, but uh, didn't realize this till just this second. Born and raised in the Bronx, Cliff Martinez. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Me neither. But, um, but yeah, that whole synth, uh, that synth wave sort of propulsive. That's, um, that's, that's what I was, uh, was going to say. It was, uh, it was like a, I, I, I called it a, I wrote down notes here, like a gothic techno. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and, cause I, it's, it's, and it's pushing Julian towards what we know is going to be uh he's he's not getting out of this in and one not, piece not whole anyway <laughs> he's no. Definitely, yeah no absolutely but not. yeah but absolutely. yeah I, if you and and my thing with Rafen is that he has become more aggressive in terms of what he will present to the audience and it's almost like he's challenging the audience to sit through things he uh drive hit big at con and I think won a couple of awards. I don't think it won the Palm d'Or. But no. con- but Drive hit big. He comes back with Only God Forgives, which received a a well-known, terrible response. Yes. Uh, the response was that half of the people clapped and half of the people booed. And that was yes. just at the uh, screening at cons. And it did not get good uh, good. Uh, uh, reviews from the critics. It was, it was lambasted. But then he comes back after this with... Um, uh, the Neon Demon, which if you're if you're into the uh, if you're into the mother son sex, the the Oedipal sex that exists between Julian and his mother, then enjoy Neon Demon for both cannibalism and necrophilia. Yeah. So yeah. although although you're it's a uh, it's it's alleged uh, between Julian and uh, his mother. So I mean it's it seems like it. You know, looking back on it, because she was talking about his. <laughs> His private parts and her brother's private parts, uh, rather uh, descriptively, 
Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah and, and very uncomfortably, by the way. Um, yeah, well, that's what a friend does is he wants to make you uncomfortable because his, his, the, 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 what he did after the neon demon was a 13 hour epic on Amazon that I, I think I'm the only person I know who has sat through all 13 hours and I've done it twice. That's uh, incredible. <laughs> yeah. On, only God forgives. Imagine, imagine not only God forgives, I'm sorry, uh, uh, too old to die young. So imagine only God forgives stretched out to 13 hours with even less of a cohesive story between a, a, a ton of characters and that soundtrack and Barry Manilow's Mandy, which makes oh. an appearance midway oh. through. <laughs> but it, it, it is so aggressive in challenging the viewer to sit through it. Like his conception of what is entertainment, it I find fascinating. Well, I mean, you had me at Barry Manilow on this one, so <laughs> I, I may have to check that out. I might, I might have to send you that one scene yeah. just to see if I can, if I can hook you on, on watching uh, uh, Too Old to Die Young, Miles uh, Teller. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, uh, uh, one of the Baldwin brothers masturbating a, oh, um, oh. a stuffed tiger. It's, it's great stuff, I'm oh, telling you. God, I'm out of Top notch. How does anything get made anymore? It's, it's right? Like I, so it's, it's amazing because we look at Bay and Bay gets hundreds of millions of dollars yes. to produce five Transformers movies. Right. I'm shocked that there are people in the world who are giving Rafen money to keep doing what he's doing. Because you know what his, his next project is? You no. might like this. Okay. He's doing an update on Maniac Cop. I don't do you, know. Do Maniac you remember Cop. that movie? No, I don't know Maniac Cop. I'm sorry. Maniac Cop was like an, a bad 80s uh, slasher movie about, guess what? A cop who's a maniac. <laughs> and he's been working on that for a couple of years. I don't know when it's scheduled to come out, but mm. I am very excited to see that. I'm and I'm sure surprised you, you didn't know about yeah. Maniac Cop. I don't know about it, but I will wiki it as soon as we're done. Um, I, I did want to bring up one last thing about Chang's character. He has a glorious set of karaoke pipes, does he not? Oh yeah, I th that that was the other thing. What you think? What, did you think the ending was the ending? Yeah, no, I, I I thought that was the ending. I didn't think it was going any further than that. Uh, uh, but well, yeah. well, let me let me let me let me rephrase the question, counselor. Were you surprised that that was the ending? No, I mean, most of the time we see films with a happy ending or something uh, close to it, um, where you can feel good about it. And knowing what I do about the, these characters, I don't think any of them are redeemable. No, I, and I don't think any of these characters are supposed to be redeemable. And I don't think most of her friend's characters since Drive are... He doesn't care about redeemable characters. I'm not sure... I'm not smart enough to understand what he's doing. But I know that I'm along for the ride. Because if you're, if you're going to bathe it in that much neon... And you're going to throw that Cliff Martinez score and you're and you're going to stage violence in the way that he stages violence because he does not shy from it. Yeah, he, he's got you. huh? He's got you hooked. He's he's got me hooked. I'm I, I'm I will stand for him. I think he's he's very divisive. People either you either have fans like me that that think his stuff is, is transgressive and uh, and and in the transgression, there's something to be gotten from that. And then you have people who think that he's a he's a a. a, a pornographer of violence a pornographer of violence i that's one of the quotes that i i read uh earlier today i can see that however i thought that 
uh, it, it all fit the story. I wasn't too surprised about what I saw. The only thing that uh, really threw me off was when Julian saw his mother dead uh, in the hotel room. What he ended up doing was put her his hands in one of her wounds and or you know basically cut her body open and put his hands in there. I don't understand that. That may have been a little over the top, a little bit too much for people. Uh, was he trying to get back inside and be happy, you know, with his mother? I'm not sure. So that's about the only part that I really didn't understand. Otherwise, I was okay with the violence. I've seen worse. I, I saw someone reference it. Um, I think, was this in the Guardian uh, article that I read? Um, Scott Tobias in the Guardian uh, in January this year. I think he mentions that it, it's an attempt of Julian to go back to the only place where he ever felt warmth. Right, I think I read that same uh, that same article, and that's what uh, that's what he was doing. But I, I would not have gotten that. It, it seemed a little bit over the top for me. Out of everything that we saw, that was the most over the top. Like we we live in a in an era right now where there's a great deal of concern over what can and cannot be depicted in in film and in literature and on TV. And I think if you start to eliminate, if you start to set boundaries, um. I, I think that's in the end. I think that's reductive. I think if you cannot show certain kinds of behavior, as long as there's a reason to showing that behavior when it's terrible, when when it's you know really really aggressive violence, like there isn't a lot of Refen work. But I think Refen, by depicting the violence, is indicting those who would either celebrate it or believe that there's something positive to be to be gotten from the violence. I think he's some sort of I don't know. He's 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 too much for me to unpack, but I think that you need transgressive kinds of creatives and artists who are out there who are going to be showing us the worst version of ourselves because otherwise we'll forget. Case in point, what Billy says that led to his death, uh, you know, right before his death and it's not something I really want to say right now to be quite honest with you, but you know, he says he wants to have sex with a minor. Uh, for lack of a, a better way of saying specifically it. Specifically a 14-year-old. Yeah, he says a 14-year-old. And I, I was shocked when I heard that. Now, I understand that that made him... Uh, it, it took away any sympathy from his death. And you saw what kind of person he was. Uh, so with that, just, with that sentence. Um, but if you take that away, then you don't... You're censoring what the movie was about in my opinion and like you said you you're it's 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 reductive yeah because you need we need to be reminded that there's a reason why we think those acts are terrible you don't need to depict the act but if you can portray a person a compelling yeah, exactly. a version of that person yeah. and we can be reminded that hey guess what there are people that want to have sex with 14 year olds out there and and we as a as a society we decide no that's not acceptable yeah, of course and, not. of course not of course not but you know there's just one last thing about Refend is, is that in terms of how batshit crazy he can get, there is a scene. Do you remember? I can bring in Die Hard two times. I can bring in. I can reference Die Hard to both of these movies today. <laughs> okay, go okay. ahead. Go ahead. You remember the Ellis character a in Ellis? Die Hard? Ellis. Ellis. Is that the uh, uh, the douchebag friend? Correct. That yes, is okay. uh, Holly Gennaro's coworker. Yes, uh, yes Played gotcha. by Hart Bachner. Yeah, Booby. Hart, Hart <laughs> Bachner plays an L.A. County Sheriff's Lieutenant in Too Old to Die Young who believes in, in the Jungian principle of the, of the shared uh, collective unconscious, subconscious. And there's a scene in Too Old to Die Young when Miles Teller is 
resigning from the LA County, uh, LA County Sheriff's Department, where Hart Bachner portrays Jesus in a pageant of the crucifixion of Christ, and it ends with a bunch of cops screaming at the top of their lungs, fascism, fascism, fascism. Oh. And I was a cop, and I, I, I don't know, man. I thought it was awesome. I thought, not, I'm, and I'm not for fascism. I think by pointing out how ridiculous those kinds of people are mm -hmm. that sort of view themselves in the context of that scene. I, I, I don't know. I think, I think Rafen is willing to shine a light on the worst aspects of humanity. And I think we need people that are able to do that. And maybe, maybe he'll make a movie about Michael Bay. <laughs> oh boy. And then, and then it'll be full circle now, won't we? <laughs> oh God, I'm never going to get a job in Hollywood. Oh, you're definitely not. <laughs> All, All right, right. Yeah, so good. that's what we had. Uh, we did uh, Nicholas Winding Friends Only God Forgives, and we did Michael Bay's Transformers. So uh, at this point of the show, we like to issue the challenges for the next episode. Yes, okay. Do you, uh, do Arco, you have, are you... Uh, you want, I'll go first, I'll go first. Yeah, you so, go first. So uh, we're going to take it back to the MCU, and I had said that uh, you're going to get the tent poles. However... I think I, I somebody uh, talked me into changing my mind on this one, and I'm going to give you one that I'm going to say right here, right now, when you get back and we do this podcast in a week or so, you're going to tell me that you really enjoyed this film, and it's Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Uh, it, is, it is the one, and I've said it to many people. And if any of them are listening, I'm sure they will agree with me when I say that it is the one film that will stand alone and and to actually be a film like it didn't need to be in the MCU. That's how good it was. All right. Oh, Winter okay. Soldier. That's been the one that's with uh, Robert Redford, right? Yes. Yes. Robert Redford's in that film. All right. I'm excited for that. Thank you. I'll, that one I'll take. I, I think I earned it this week. Yeah. <laughs> good. 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 All right. Yeah. Yeah. For you. you? Yep. Yeah. I was back and forth between... We're going to go foreign for the first time. I haven't given you a... Oh, no, wait, no, no. I gave you a Tarkovsky. I gave yeah, you a Russian so film. Solaris. All right. Should I... I'm undecided. I don't know what country to go to. Oh, but boy. I think we're going to get into... I think we're going to get into French New Wave cinema. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. All right. But this is, this is accessible. This isn't crazy over-the-top Godard or Truffaut. This is... I'm giving you the uh, 1967 film Le Samurai. Le Samurai, 1967. Who is the director? Written and directed by Jean-Pierre Melville. Um it's 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 good. You'll like it. It's about a uh it's about a professional hitman in Paris. Okay. All right. Uh, I hope you'll like it. It uh, is uh -huh. it is very French. Well challenge accepted. All right, and I will accept mine. I will go see Captain America the Winter Soldier. And you will see Le Samurai. I wish I had a better French accent. And uh Arco, I think that wraps it up for this episode of Movie Challenge Accepted. Yes, Jason. I had a great time again. Thank you very much. Thank thank you, man. And uh, go take care of your dog. Yeah, you hear him in the background. I'm sorry. I will. <laughs> <laughs> have right, a great everyone. night. You got it. Yeah, have a great night. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much.